Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Things are getting a bit spooky. Welcome to the Wellington Police Paranormal Unit. <laughs> and supernatural. We caused a paradox, and that paradox is swallowing things. I'm Jared Hall from Entertainment Weekly, and here's what to watch on Wednesday, June 22nd. We are counting down today's top three must-see picks from TV and movies. But first, your entertainment headlines. Stephen Colbert kicked off Monday's episode of The Late Show by addressing his team's hectic weekend. A group of CBS staffers, including Robert Smigel, the voice of Triumph the Insult comic dog, were arrested while trying to film a segment for the show Thursday night at a U.S. Capitol office building. Colbert joked it was, quote, first-degree puppetry when addressing how the situation was framed by certain press outlets as an insurrection at the Capitol. Have a listen. Triumph and my folks shot for two days in congressional offices across the street from the Capitol building. They went through security clearance, shot all day Wednesday, all day Thursday, invited into the offices of the Congress people they were interviewing. And that's very important. You have to invite Triumph in. (laughs) He works on Dracula rules. (laughs) Now, end of day two, Thursday evening, after they'd finished their interviews, they were doing some last minute puppetry and uh, jokey make-em-ups in a hallway when Triumph and my folks were approached and detained by the Capitol Police, which actually isn't that surprising. The Capitol Police are much more cautious than they were, say, 18 months ago, (laughs) and for a very good reason. If you don't know what that reason is, I know what news network you watch. (laughs) So... The Capitol Police were just doing their job. My staff was just doing their job. Everyone was very professional. Everyone was very calm. My staffers were detained, processed, and released. A very unpleasant experience for my staff. A lot of paperwork for the Capitol Police, but a fairly simple story. Until... (laughs) The next night, when a couple of the TV people started claiming that my puppet squad had, quote, committed insurrection... At the U.S. Capitol building. First of all, what? (laughs) Second of all, huh? Third of all, they weren't in the Capitol building. Fourth of all, and I am shocked I have to explain the difference, but an insurrection involves disrupting the lawful actions of Congress and howling for the blood of elected leaders all to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. This was first-degree puppetry. (laughs) This was hijinks with intent to goof. Misappropriation of an old Conan bit. (laughs) And a good one at that. You can check out that full segment at EW.com. After 13 Academy Award nominations, collaborations with Cher, Beyonce, and Lady Gaga, and a career filled with countless tunes crafted for movies big and small, songwriter Diane Warren will finally receive 
our long-awaited Oscar later this year at the Governor's Awards. The Academy announced Tuesday that the 65-year-old is among four of this year's honorary award recipients, alongside Witness and Master and Commander Helmer Peter Weir, Marlon Brando's A Dry White Season filmmaker Yuzon Palsy, the first black woman to direct a film for a major Hollywood studio, and Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award honoree Michael J. Fox. Get ready to ask Sherry Shepard how she's doing when her new Sherry talk show debuts later this year. Debmar Mercury, the same syndication company behind Wendy Williams' long-running TV production, announced Tuesday the premiere date for the former View co-host new talk series, which is set to replace the Wendy Williams show when it debuts on Monday, September 12th. Sherry, made with Wendy Williams show producer David Perler, will be syndicated across Fox stations, as well as stations belonging to the Cox, Hearst, Sinclair, and Nexstar broadcast groups. The total reach of Sherry will clear 97% of coverage in the United States. Set to be shot in front of a live audience in New York's Chelsea Studios, Sherry will see its host cover pop culture and comedy while hosting conversations with celebrity and human interest interview subjects. And another Kazan is venturing into the Salinas Valley. Actress and screenwriter Zoe Kazan is developing a limited series based on the classic John Steinbeck novel East of Eden, following in the footsteps of her grandfather, Elia Kazan, nearly 70 years after he directed a film adaptation starring James Dean. Kazan will reportedly write and executive produce the Netflix project, and Florence Pugh is on board to star as the manipulative matriarch Kathy Ames. Representatives for Netflix and Kazan did not immediately respond to EW's request for comment. For more on all of those stories, plus other news, reviews, interviews, and more, head on over to EW.com. It's ghouls and goblins galore on our number three pick today, the U.S. season premiere of Wellington Normal. This out-of-the-box mockumentary comedy horror series follows the officers in Wellington, New Zealand's Constabulary Paranormal Unit who solve mysteries surrounding the supernatural activity in the town. On the season premiere, officers Minogue and O'Leary capture and arrest an invisible tentacled creature. The creature escapes the police, though, and the officers begin a race to get the monster back to the station, but they soon meet a little girl who explains that the creature, who we now know is named Daisy, is actually one of a gentle nature. Here's a preview. Welcome to the Wellington Police Paranormal Unit. I mean, to put it in layman's terms, we're kind of like Mulder and Scully. We've got sort of underlying sexual tension going on. I believe this is a UFO. Um, I believe it's a hubcap. Maybe we could do something a little bit less scary. It's Wellington. It's scary. Right, everybody that wants to uh, proceed to the afterlife, put up your ghost hands. Your neck is going to get really sore, and I'm not massaging it tonight. Uh, be careful out there, guys. Full moon tonight. We believe that earlier on tonight you are transformed into a werewolf and you ran through your, your back door. How do you know that? Uh, just the hole in the back door. You know, I'm just requesting assistance here. Caught on the fence again, O'Leary. It's not something that normally happens to me. Yeah. I've got a question. If we identify a UFO, does that just mean it's an FO? Mm. The series is based on characters from the 2014 mockumentary film What We Do in the Shadows, which was written and directed by Taika Waititi and Jemaine Clement. See all the supernatural shenanigans go down on the season premiere of Wellington Paranormal, tonight at 9 on The CW.
It's trivia time. The Umbrella Academy's third season is premiering on Netflix today. More on that in just a few. The series is based on a comic book series written by Gerard Way, who happens to be a founding member of which successful long-standing rock band? Panic at the Disco, Paramore, or My Chemical Romance? Stick around for the answer. The Force is strong on our number two pick today, the season finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Another chapter is written into the book of Obi-Wan and his friend Anakin turned foe Darth Vader, and a season full of battles and blue milk is coming to an end. But will it be the last chapter? Well, the show was planned as a one-season limited series. Could there possibly be more in store? Well, on EW's Star Wars podcast, Dagoba Dispatch, we asked Ewan McGregor if he would be willing to wield the lightsaber again for another season. Would I like to make another one? Yeah, I, I, I would like to make another one. So I, I had such a great time working with Deb, and the actors that we had in this were so great to work with, and the crew just, I can't tell you, it was so wonderful to work on. I, I couldn't I couldn't wait to get to work every day. And, that, you know, on a long shoot like this, that's that's something that, you know, right to the end. I I, um, I just love the experience of it. There's something very nice about making that doing work that, you know, people are going to see for a start. I've spent a lot of time in my career making films that very few people ever saw. <laughs> and there's something nice about going to work when, you know, this is this has already got its audience, you know, um, and it's nice that now I, you know it sounds like a bit pretentious or something, but it's nice to make people happy. It's nice to know that by uh, all of our efforts and making this Obi Wan Kenobi series, we're going people are going to be the fans are going to are going to be stoked. I think I think they're not going to be disappointed by it, and some maybe some will, but you know you can't please all the people all the time, but. I think knowing that people are going to be happy because of our work is a nice feeling. Well, you heard the man, but while McGregor is ready to say hello there to another season of Obi-Wan Kenobi, we still need to get director Deborah Chow and Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy on board. So, fingers crossed. Until that happens, enjoy the season finale streaming on Disney+, and listen to us break down every single installment and chat with the entire cast over on the Dagoba Dispatch podcast. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Our number one pick is coming up. What to watch? We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to EW's What to Watch. Our number one pick today has a few new faces added to its already large and charismatic cast of characters. It is the season premiere of The Umbrella Academy. On the hit Netflix series, it seems that while our heroes were hanging out in 60s Dallas during season two, a new team of superpowered siblings sprouted up in their place. 
Needless to say, tensions flare when the Umbrella Academy returns to the present to find the Sparrow Academy living in their house. But while the Umbrellas are goofy, eccentric, and constantly fighting amongst themselves, the Sparrows are an efficient, coordinated machine. Showrunner Steve Blackman had an even more succinct summary of their differences. Have a listen. The way I thought of it in my mind when I was thinking about season three is the Umbrellas are a family that didn't know how to be superheroes. The Sparrows are superheroes that never knew how to be a family. That is a fundamental difference in how they go about being superheroes. And I think our family has the advantage. I think it's, it's better to sort of have that sort of unity. That, and, and I don't want to give away where we're going, but that, that power of family is important. And I wanted to really differentiate the two families that way. Well, the biggest shock for the Umbrellas is that their dead brother, Ben, played by Justin H. Min, is now alive and well as a member of the Sparrow Academy. The Umbrellas are overjoyed to see him, of course, but although he still has the same power of emitting monstrous tentacles from his body, this isn't the Ben they remember. Min told EW about some of the work he put into differentiating his performance from the first two seasons. Yeah, uh, Steve and I really talked at length about sort of this balancing act between nature versus nurture, what that would do to someone like Ben. And I think Ben, in his essence, is a very impressionable person in general, and mm. someone who looks up quite a bit to authority. Mm-hmm. So nurture is a huge driving force behind whoever Ben is and whoever Ben becomes. And so in this alternate reality where you know, they're being trained as these assassins and, um, like, mighty superheroes uh, who are famous and well-known. These are all things that we sort of talked about in terms of leaving a great impression on Ben and, and him wanting to overcompensate in many ways. So, will Ben be able to reconnect with the rest of the Umbrella Academy? How will the other Sparrow Academy members respond to these interlopers from another timeline? To find out, watch Season 3 of The Umbrella Academy, streaming now on Netflix. And finally today, the answer to our trivia question. Gerard Way, who wrote the Umbrella Academy comic book series, is in which successful long-standing rock band? Panic at the Disco, Paramore, or My Chemical Romance? Well, lots of people love these guys. It's My Chemical Romance. Way is a co-founder of the band and their lead vocalist. That is our show for today. We will have more news and must-see picks for you tomorrow, so be sure to follow or subscribe to What to Watch so you don't miss our daily recommendations, more of which can be found at EW.com. I'm Executive Editor Jared Hall. You can find us on Twitter at EW and at Jared Hall. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Today's episode of What to Watch was written by Callie Shep, Dalton Ross, and Christian Holub, edited by Lauren Klein, produced by Ashley Boucher, produced and hosted by Jared Hall, and executive produced by Chanel Johnson. One, two, watch.